It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I'm going to start off this episode with a seemingly random question for you, Jason. (laughs) Have you ever heard of and maybe been to a place in Los Angeles, specifically, it might be in like West LA. I'm not quite sure what this part of town is, but that it's like border of West LA, Westwood and Culver City, kind of like a vague area. There's an ice cream shop that's been there for a long time called The Big Chill. Have you A, heard of it? And have you B, been there? No and no, although that was a fantastic, iconic movie from the early 80s. It's a kind of a shame that you haven't been there because <laughs> I haven't been in years. And I was randomly thinking about it fairly recently, but didn't feel compelled enough to go there. I went there very often back in probably the 2006 to 2008 timeline because they're one of the few places I knew of that had non-dairy frozen yogurt. And it was so exciting to go there for that reason. Like It was one of those things that most long-term vegans recall when you feel deprived of certain foods and then you find out that a place in your town or a place that you're going to visit has it. And back then, frozen yogurt that was dairy-free and vegan was so rare. I think, however, at the time, it technically wasn't vegan and I didn't find that out until later because back then, it was like that awkward phase where you would go into a restaurant and ask if something was dairy-free and they'd say yes, but there might be like, some random ingredient in it, like some lactose derivative or something that wasn't fully vegan. And you always had to make that choice of would you have it anyways if it wasn't 100%. And that was always interesting. So I'm not 100% sure actually if it was vegan. But anyways, I used to go there. I thought it was vegan at the time, and it was like an exciting thing to do with my friends. And it was across the street from another like fast food Mexican place I loved and very fond memories. So it kind of randomly came up in my head recently. I didn't look into it. I, I was just kind of curious if that place still existed. And then it showed up on TikTok in a very fascinating way. So this episode has nothing to do with frozen yogurt. It has very little to do with being vegan. What it does have to do with is a controversy that the Big Chill ice cream shop in Los Angeles was involved with the last few days. So on TikTok, there was a video summarizing the fact that Demi Lovato went to the Big Chill and got triggered because of some of the marketing that they were using to describe their ice cream. Apparently, they use the term guilt-free, and it really triggered her because she has been really working on her eating disorder, speaking out against that. And she went in there to get ice cream and felt offended by some of their marketing. And I tried to pull up some of the... Posts that she put, oh yeah, so on her Instagram stories about a day or two ago at the time of this recording, which is in mid-April 2021, she posted on Instagram that she's finding it extremely hard to order Froyo from the Big Chill when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies and other diet foods before you can get to the counter. Do better. And then she used the hashtag diet culture vultures. And the Big Chill wrote back to her, we are not diet vultures. We cater to all our customers' needs for the past 36 years. We are sorry you found this offensive. And then she replied and publicly posted this, calling out their terrible customer service, 
and how the entire experience was triggering and awful. She said, you can carry things for other people while also caring for another percentage of your customers who struggle daily just to even step foot in your store. You can find a way to provide an inviting environment for all people with different needs, including eating disorders, one of the deadliest mental illnesses, only second to opioid overdoses. Don't make excuses, just do better. And then she followed up by saying, maybe it would help if you made it more clear that the sugar-free options and vegan options are for that, labeling the snacks for celiac or people with diabetes or vegans. When it's not super clear, the messaging gets confusing. And being in LA, it's really hard to distinguish diet culture versus health needs. I think clear messaging would be more beneficial for everyone. You aren't wrong for catering to many different needs, but it's about not excluding one demographic to cater to others. So before I continue, Jason, I'm curious, like, how does this resonate with you? What are your thoughts that are coming up for you? I suppose it's a mixture of thoughts. It's a mixture of thoughts because on one hand, I feel like the desire and the push for inclusivity and inclusiveness in general is a very important, timely, I don't know if noble is the right word. It's a compassionate, sensitive thing to do when we're focused on inclusivity. Absolutely. Whether that is something like an establishment, say, having a wheelchair accessible ramp up to the front of their door. Great example of inclusivity, right? Or in this case, though, this is an interesting, very, very nuanced discussion. Because I think the one comment from Demi's reply that stood out at me is the often confusing intersection or separation between diet culture and health needs. I thought that was very wise and very succinct, and I agree with her. I think a lot of times, for example, going out to eat, and this has happened an innumerable number of times where I would request, uh, say, a gluten-free item, gluten-free pizza. Let's use that as an example. And the server or the person supporting me at the establishment would say, are you celiac? Do you have an actual allergy, or is it a preference for some other reason? And I would say, I'm not celiac. I have a sensitivity. I don't feel great when I eat it, but it's not something where I'm going to endanger my health by having it. So that's an important thing, though, because some people will order gluten-free because it's like the trendy thing to do. It's not necessarily because there's a life-threatening emergency if they eat gluten. So first of all, I just want to commend her on having that separation between health trends or diet culture and actual needs for your physiology. The thing that I think I would prefer is that when someone brings up the idea of inclusiveness and mindfulness around marketing or vulturedom, as she labeled this, is getting more specific with your suggestion. So in her reply for me, I didn't glean enough specificity in what she's asking for. Is she asking for, rather than using marketing phrases like, this is guilt-free, indulge all you want, no shame in the game. I mean, there's a million versions of this. Is she just saying to strip away all of that marketing language completely and just use phrases like suitable for celiacs, made in a certified gluten-free kitchen, 100% vegan? Is she suggesting that we strip away guilt and shame and sort of these marketing tactics and just be more clear with the labeling. Am I understanding that correctly? We don't know. We can't talk to Demi. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Okay, because that's my concern, especially now in the time of cancel culture or accountability. We talked about that in a previous episode, the difference between cancel culture and accountability is that when a person takes you to task publicly about your marketing, your behavior, your products, whatever it is, I think it's important to offer very clear, concrete suggestions and not be aqueous and amorphous when we call people out. Because if it's just like, you need to do better, you're a vulture, you guys need to step it up. It's like, okay, well, how could you be clear about what you're suggesting? 
And so my concern in cancel culture slash this higher level of accountability and requests for inclusivity is I'm all for holding people accountable and making suggestions, but please be clear about exactly what you're suggesting because it's very easy to misinterpret things. And to her point, I think she does have a point in the sense that leveraging guilt or lack thereof around the purchase cycle of a product, eh, that's a slippery slope because guilt and shame, or again, the tactic of if you eat this or consume this or buy this, you won't feel any guilt or shame. It's a slippery slope when people have mental health issues, very slippery slope. So I agree with her on that aspect. What I would like to see, though, is, again, a very clear set of suggestions of, are you saying let's strip away all of that marketing language and, again, substitute it with better labeling? You know, if I ever have the privilege of having a conversation with her, I would want to dig in and be like, you know, what exactly do you mean by this? But to her point, Whitney, before I pass the baton back, I think it is when we talk about conscious languaging and how we're using language, it's interesting she brings this up because I'm sure if I were to walk into that same ice cream shop, I would have probably not even paid attention to that kind of marketing language. It would have just gone right over my head. Why? Because it's been used for decades. Oh, guilt-free, shame-free, eat all you want. Like I was saying, that kind of marketing language has been around in the food industry for decades. So it seems innocuous. So kudos to Demi for bringing this up, first of all. But secondly, again, I think whenever we're holding each other accountable, it's really important to be clear about what the suggestion is. And to me, this feels a little murky. Yeah, it feels like she got triggered and angry and she's standing up for herself and trying to make a point. And I think it's similar to even something that we mentioned on a recent episode when I was talking about the woman on TikTok who got in trouble for posing in her bikini. It's like, I can understand that's very triggering. She felt like she was being targeted. She probably has been dealing with discrimination her whole life and doesn't want to be shamed. And I think a lot of times when something happens that triggers us, like our first reaction is to get revenge in some way or to try to like get control. And a lot of people use social media that way, which I think is amazing in that it's powerful. But if we're not careful, it actually can do another form of harm. It's not actually helping us quite as much as we think. And for someone like Demi Lovato, nothing she posts is taken lightly. People are going to screenshot it. People are going to respond to it. You can't just be like, oh, I messed up. Let me just apologize quietly and it'll go away. Like for us, you know, you and me, Jason, like, I mean, even us, like we have enough of the social media following that like, we have no idea who's watching what we do and the consequences of our actions. And if we have a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, which is what this looked like to me, like she just got very triggered and it is fully within her right to be triggered. I can understand to an extent having a history of disordered eating myself, but not nearly as severe as she seems to experience it. And she's also relatively raw, and I'm sure so many things that she experiences being such a large public figure, or well-known public figure, I should say, she probably gets triggered all the time and is just like, can't tolerate it. It's like most of us can relate where there's only so long that we can hold ourselves together. And it's like that straw that breaks the camel's back and we just like erupt. And I imagine that was part of this, but I also imagine that this was her really standing up because maybe she felt like it's her responsibility to be a voice for other people who are affected by this. Maybe it's a wake-up call. To your point, Jason, I'm with you. Like I rarely notice words like guilt-free or at least not on a fully conscious level. Maybe they impact me and I'm just used to them impacting me. You know, I've actually become more and more sensitive to it. Like right now, I'm very sensitive to certain words I'm sensitive to ageism. I'm sensitive to pressure to lose weight. Like it's interesting though, because like food marketing rarely triggers me, but the way other people talk about bodies triggers me. So that's where when I'll hear certain things like you should do this or that, that bothers me. Or 
people promoting certain ways of weight loss will bother me. And I also know that I'm sure I say things that trigger other people. And I've often thought about how people are impacted by my book about the ketogenic diet, which is like even the word diet can be so triggering, but the word keto can really trigger people. Even if you're not talking about it in the context of weight loss, it is so associated with weight loss that I imagine some people have seen the title of my book and felt very triggered and angry about it. And likewise, someone can walk into a restaurant and like assuming that they're going to have a really non-triggering experience and then suddenly they see this marketing. And I think her big point there beyond her personal reaction is like, wow, this has to stop. And I mean, the big chill, I didn't realize that it's been open for 36 years, but I imagine that they have not done too much to reevaluate their marketing aside from going on social media. I looked up their Instagram, feels very trendy. It's full of a lot of young, cute girls, your like average, youthful LA type they're taking pictures of. And so actually that triggers me because it's like, hey, we're going to use young girls to market our product. Like it's kind of sickening because it doesn't fully represent them. So it's like you're only representing the fraction. Granted, I will say for context, the big chill is not that far from UCLA, Jason. So it feels like a very UCLA type of place to go to. I used to go there with a friend who I think was in college at the time. And she lived fairly close by and we would like meet up there, you know, and it always had that feeling to it. So I imagine that they're used to this like youthful vibe and they're probably as a company used to women going in there and wanting something quote guilt free, you know? So it's tricky as a company when like your clientele might literally be using those words. And as you and I, Jason know, as people that have studied marketing, a lot of times you use the words that your customers use. And so it's not just an issue. You can't really point the finger at one singular company because it's an issue with the entire culture. And I also thought it was really extreme to use the word vulture because, again, that is like a pretty intense word to use where maybe you can have a private conversation. But then again, who knows what happened previous to posting this? And unless she discloses it, we have no idea. And I've certainly posted things online, like on Yelp, for example. I think I've talked about this, Jason. Like Sometimes I'll post just very honest reviews of places. And I think like, hmm, should I contact the company privately first? Or should I just post this publicly? And sometimes it feels too exhausting to try to reach the manager or reach the owner of the company. Like it is kind of easy to just post about a bad experience in social media. But like I was saying before, it's also kind of like on the petty side because it's like, hey, I'm too lazy to approach this and try to solve it privately. So I'm just going to post it publicly because I think that that actually is going to make more of a change. But observing what happened here, I actually don't know if that's making a change. I don't know if the big chill reads that message from Demi and says, oh my God, you're right, we should change. I think as soon as they saw the word vulture, they were like, hell no, I got to defend myself. You know what I mean? And it's like, unless to your point, Jason, you give very specific action skills, like to your point also at the beginning, it feels more like canceling somebody versus holding them accountable or holding them accountable in a shaming way. So even when you step back at it, she probably felt body shamed because she saw the word guilt-free, but then she turned around and shamed them for their marketing. And it's like, it's like fighting fire with fire, fighting shame with shame. Like, where does that really get you? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong here, Jason. It's like, I just feel personally that that doesn't really get you that far. So maybe just like that other woman I was talking about at the hotel in Vegas, maybe those people are just at a point where they don't feel like their voices are heard unless they talk about it really loudly and publicly. And maybe people are just really trying to 
combat shame with shame, thinking that they don't have another option. And I think one of the big points here too is inclusivity and kindness and compassion for all, which is a wonderful thing to strive for. But culturally, we have a long way to go. It's not that easy, especially in a world where there's so many people feeling excluded and there's so many people feeling triggered and targeted and hurt. We've got a lot of cleanup to do and we can only move so fast it's not an excuse. It's just kind of like the reality of where we're at. Like I was thinking earlier today, Jason, (laughs) I saw another thing on TikTok. This is so unrelated, but part of my point, I saw this post of someone like trying to make light as a coping mechanism of the fact that we're finally making progress with COVID and people are like, okay, great. I'm going to get the vaccine. And, you know, we're making all of these strides so that we can go back to normalcy. But wait a second, I don't feel comfortable going outside even without COVID because mass shootings are happening almost every day. And I was like, wow. (laughs) It literally caused me to think, Jason, like, you know what? That's true. I don't know if I feel fully safe leaving the house because we've got another huge, huge issue happening right now with insane violence. So we've got things threatening our physical health, things threatening our mental health, things threatening our emotional health. There's so much emotional weight that I can completely understand why mental health in general is such a huge issue because it feels like you can't go anywhere without feeling triggered or scared or affected in some way. And everybody is experiencing that to one degree or another. And certain people are especially targeted and do not feel protected at all. And I think that that's really the bigger issue here. I think it's so important to take into account how a lot of people are teetering on the edge of sanity right now. And I don't say that lightly. That I think it's best to assume. That's a word that I don't like to use a lot because assumptions can get us into a lot of trouble. I think it's best to assume that everyone we interact with on some scale is struggling with something, right? Someone's fighting a silent battle, whether or not they're posting it on social media or they're keeping it private. I think that the physical isolation over the past 14 months, we've talked about in previous episodes how COVID has biologically changed our brains by the isolation, the lack of variety, the lack of novelty that that physiologically our brains are going to have to adapt back to community interactions. You know, and then you take into account what you said, Whitney, about this increase in the frequency of mass shootings. And then, you know, again, since we're on a little bit of a tangent here, but it's related to mental health and triggers, because that's really the core of kind of what we're talking about in this episode. A friend of mine, prior to recording about 10 minutes before we started today, informed me that she's moving from the Pacific Northwest back to Las Vegas. I said, why? She said, well, have you seen the fire reports for the year? I said, no, I didn't even know they were released. And she sent me all of these screenshots and websites of the, again, forecast. We hear that all the time with the weather. But now with natural disasters, including the fire season on the West Coast, apparently they just released the data of what they're projecting for the summertime fire season. It's grim. Not going to lie. It's grim. California, parts of Mexico, Oregon now, Washington State does not mean it's going to manifest exactly as they are because again, it's a forecast. It's a prediction, but it was grim. She's like, I don't want to be here for it. I don't want to be constantly worried about what I'm inhaling when I take my dog outside for a walk, feeling like my physical safety and the safety of my home is being threatened. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. So all of this is to say that there is a shit ton of anxiety. There's a shit ton of fear. There's a shit ton of distrust. People are teetering. So when I say, let's assume that people are one or two straws away from snapping, I think that's reasonable to assume. And why do I say that? I think because if we can be mindful of our own state, 
and mindful of that's probably the case for most people we interact with. It's an opportunity to be kind and compassionate. And going back to this point about Demi, can we, even when we're triggered, and I'm saying this to myself too, even when I have the straw that breaks the back, be mindful of how I'm communicating and what my aim in communicating is. And I say this because there was a really recent incident too that happened since we're talking about businesses and also tying back to Portland. There's a pizza place in Portland called Boxcar Pizza and they do vegan Detroit style deep dish. Like that phrase alone, vegan Detroit style deep dish. I'm going to fly up there just to have this pizza. I've heard it's incredible. Have not tried it yet because it opened, I guess, right around the time of the pandemic starting. But I hear this pizza place is incredible. Okay, so shout out to Boxcar. Last week, they were posting on Instagram that they got a barrage of negative Yelp reviews. Barrage. Why? Because there was a customer that walked in who didn't want to wear their mask. And Boxcar apparently said, hey, if you want to you know, be in here and be served, you know, we have a mask policy. It's Oregon still has a mask policy. They're not in the same tier as like a Texas or a Florida where the governor said, no masks, you can do what you want. So Oregon has a mask policy and this customer refused to wear one. So they apparently were refused service. So rather than, I suppose, I don't know, ordering takeout, okay, as an option or ordering it on Yelp and having it delivered outside, you know, I I just want to say this. I don't know this person's mental state, but there was an option where they didn't have to set foot in the restaurant. They could have it brought outside. They could have it delivered to their home. Their choice to have this, I guess, resolved was to have a legion of people detonate on this restaurant on Yelp, detonate them. So Boxcar said, hey, for any of our patrons, any of our friends and family, could you please go on Yelp and leave us good reviews and stand up for us on social media? So I forwarded it to my friends in Oregon and said, hey, did you know this was going on? Blah, blah, blah. They were like, this is appalling. This is fucking crazy. My point in saying this is like, what is the aim here? Is it vengeance? Is it retribution? Is it fuck you? You won't let me do what I want? Or is the aim to have some sort of change in policy if possible? Like, so for this person, again, I don't know them. I don't know their mental state. But if they were offended or felt discriminated against for not wearing a mask, even though it's a policy right now to do so, why firebomb them on Yelp? Obviously, they can't change it because it's a state order. Like, what do you want this business to do? So I just think with all of this sort of choices for people online to go at businesses, to try and make them change through shaming them, through firebombing them on Yelp, I always go back to like, what is your aim here? Is it retribution and vengeance? Do you actually want them to change a policy? Like, why are you doing this? And so to me, whether it's Demi or whether it's the situation at Boxcar, I always go back to like, what is your strategy here and what's your actual aim? Do you just want to vent? Do you just want to get your anger out and, you know, again, throw it at someone? Or do you actually want to create some sort of substantive change? And if so, is that the best way to do it? That's my question. That's an amazing question and definitely part of this, in my opinion, because I think we have major anger issues in this country. And a lot of them for very good reason. You know, people are very angry. And you could say that taking to social media to vent is certainly a lot better than the people that are violent as a form of venting would much prefer that. Right. But also to Demi's point, She talks about the mental health issues, but shaming somebody can cause mental health issues in someone else. I mean, to your point, Jason, the business owner, it's like she knows what it's like to be criticized publicly. Like it sucks. And like done it like, yeah, I just I personally really wish that she hadn't used that term vulture. And I wish that she had communicated differently because she would be setting a good example for people. And that's part of this too. As much as she is bringing awareness to diet culture and the messaging out there, which I absolutely support, along with awareness, we have to have an action plan. Otherwise, people are just aware but don't know what to do about it. 
which is also not a big deal because people can figure it out for themselves. But to add in the shaming, like that triggers me. Like anything shame related triggers me. So I got just similar to what I was saying about the Las Vegas woman issue that we talked about an episode or two ago. I see both sides and I have compassion for both sides because, you know, and I'm not like trying to defend the big chill. Like I have positive associations with them from many years ago, but more just like in defense of a small business or even a chain. It's like the amount of criticism that they get and they just feel like they can't please everyone. And then what do you want them to do? Close? Like the amount of joy that they bring people. And I think ultimately... Demi probably went in there to find joy and instead she found shame. And I have compassion for that. She probably thought, oh, an ice cream shop. This is a safe place. This is something that's going to make me feel good. And instead she got the opposite. And that sucks for her. And I'm sorry that she went through that. Like if she had simply just expressed those words to the business, they could relate to her on a compassionate level without triggering them to be defensive. And I also wondered, did she need to call them out by name or could she have just posted about a picture of her frozen yogurt, maybe showing the label of the, I mean, I don't assuming she got something, maybe she didn't, but let's just say she went somewhere else. You know, there's plenty of frozen yogurt places to go to. She got her frozen yogurt. She posted a picture and she said, she told the story of what happened. To me, that's super powerful because her audience can relate. She's got to prove her point. And then if she'd like, she could privately send that message to the company and say, hey, by the way, this is what happened when I was at your store and look at all the comments to back up my experience. But I don't think people think that way, Jason, to your point. It's that what I perceive to be, and again, I don't know the full story, so I'm only commenting based on my limited knowledge of this situation. But to me, it it does look like someone that got very hurt and needed to vent in an angry way, and as a result, shamed people and triggered their defenses and got all of these news outlets to post about this, Jason, like TMZ, Perez Hilton, they're all publishing this story. So, you know, this ice cream shop is now associated with this situation. And I haven't read up to it. I don't know if they've responded further, but it's like, oh my gosh, first of all, Don't we have better things to cover in the news? I'm not trying to trivialize eating disorders, body shame, any of that. That's very important. But that should be the cover story. But it's just like the Kardashian stuff we talked about. It's like, instead of making it about the really important stuff, we make it about the newsworthy drama that these celebrities are going through and pulling these small businesses in. And it's like, oh my gosh. But If it creates a conversation, maybe it's worth it after all. I don't know. I guess we have a lot of work to do to deal with our anger. And people are angry for all sorts of issues. And I suppose that's the big challenge here. A lot of people are angry and a lot of people don't know what to do with their anger. And what they really want deep down is to not feel angry. They want their voices to be heard and they want things to change. And I think that's like at the core of all this human behavior. People are frustrated and fed up and they are desperate. And desperate feelings can sometimes cause us to do things that don't actually work in our favor. So oftentimes we have to wait till we cool down. Because as you know, Jason, like it's really hard to think straight when you're angry. So I have compassion for that too. Like I'm, you know, it's so easy. Hindsight is 2020. Maybe Demi regrets her behavior, maybe she still stands behind it. I have no idea. It's not my place to shame. I'm certainly not trying to shame her or correct her or whatever. Like I'm just examining it and thinking about it in context of my own behavior and my own reactions and I think that's just the state in which we're in, Jason. Like, There's a lot of human beings that have a lot of wounds, and when their wounds get triggered, they do a lot of things that don't actually help anyone. In fact, sometimes they do more harm than good, and sometimes they do more good than harm. So my hope is that Demi's statement about all this actually does get people to think, you know, maybe it does affect the big chill. Maybe the big chill closes, or maybe the 
big chill continues with business as usual. But other businesses, I'm sure, are watching the situation go down and they might be behind the scenes changing their marketing, which actually gives them a leg up and they can position themselves as a non-triggering frozen yogurt shop that has options for everyone. And maybe there's some secret formula they'll come up with that balances and makes everybody feel good. I guess that's what we can hope for. And maybe that situation with that woman in Vegas and the pizza shop, like maybe they can reevaluate the way that they handle their customers, you know? I guess it's just tricky, Jason, because anybody that's worked in a customer service position knows how hard it is, even for you and me. Like, we have to manage with people's commentary about the podcast, we have to manage with people commenting on our courses. And I mean, it's a, customer service is incredibly challenging. And there's a lot of entitlement and there's a lot of cruelty that can happen from customers that lack the awareness of what it's like to work in those positions. And considering that Demi has been an actress, probably her entire, or performer of some sort, probably her entire life, as far as I'm aware, maybe she's never worked one of those roles. And maybe she doesn't realize like, what it's like to be a small business getting a celebrity calling them out like that. Like, I don't know if she thinks that stuff through. And maybe that person in Portland, Jason, like, they're clearly not thinking about how they're affecting that business. They just want to be right. They just want to get justice is what I imagine. I guess it makes me sad because it takes us further away from unity, Jason. Like all these stories it's just like human beings creating more wars against each other instead of really trying to sit down and work it out, which is what I would rather see happen. It's almost, and I know this is going to sound cliche, especially in terms of social media and digital communication. I think it's really easy to forget that there's a human being on the other side of that message. I'm going to message their account. It's not a person. It's their account. I'm going to send this to their inbox. It's an inbox, not a human being with feelings. And there's a dehumanization that has occurred. You know, the rhetoric we always hear, which is accurate to a point, is that all of the technology we have and the social platforms are bringing us closer. And by all means, especially during the last 14 months of a pandemic-ish, I'm grateful for FaceTime. I'm grateful for Zoom. What I'm reminded, though, of this conversation is how easy it is to dehumanize a person and remove the compassion and nuance of conversation when we send people messages. We forget there's a human being on the other side of that message. We just think it's account to account. That's been said a million different ways. I think it bears constant repeating, though. Again, if the aim is to have awareness be created. I want this business to be aware that the language they're using and the marketing they're using is potentially harmful, not only to me, but people that are struggling in ways like I am. Or in the other case, I find your mask policy discriminatory. Okay, well, is there a workaround given the parameters we have to operate in as a business in this state where I can make you feel accommodated, right? If we have a conversation with a human being face-to-face, in my life experience, I find that it's much easier to find understanding and resolution than it is to have this sort of gang mentality or tyranny in the majority where we're going to firebomb someone on Yelp or we're going to call them out on social media. Again, these things are done from a place of pain. Why else would someone do it? Why else would someone take and say, I'm going to get all my friends to firebomb this business on Yelp? Or why else would someone like Demi publicly call them out and label them as a vulture? To me, I just think that having a face-to-face conversation with the business owner, the CEO, you make enough you know, taps on the door, you can get up to that person and have a conversation. I think resolution is easier achieved by a genuine human conversation than resulting to dehumanizing social media to get your way. That's the first thing, you know, is can we bring back intimate, compassionate human conversation so that everyone's understood? Hopefully, doesn't guarantee we're understood. 
But I think that's the first thing, Whitney, is removing the dehumanization aspect of digital communication. And then I think the second thing that I want to bring up too is there's a situation I remember when I was in college where I was working valet jobs. You talked about customer service, right? And how when one has worked in a customer service position, whether that's being in a phone bank or being a server at a restaurant or a valet or you working at the Apple store for so many years, I have noticed that how people treat you is usually an indication of their life experience. I want to piggyback on what you said, Whitney. And interestingly, I worked valet for years before I went to Columbia. I wanted to save up enough money to move to Chicago, finish my degree, all that. So I'm working this valet job for years, and I was at a hospital. I was at a couple hospitals in in Detroit. And this is anecdotal because it's only from my life experience, okay? But for years, I started to notice that people who, how do I say this, drove economy cars or cars that appeared that they needed some work, okay, would vastly tip me more frequently. And I would run my ass off for these cars, even in the middle of winter. You know, I always wanted to make people feel taken care of, thank them, open the door for them, run my ass off to get the car so they didn't have to wait. And most of the time, People who came up in Bentleys, Dodge Vipers, Ferraris, etc., rarely tip me. Now, I could form a whole opinion on rich people suck, fuck them, they're not generous, that's how they got their money by being stingy. Like, and as a young person, yeah, I started to form kind of those opinions. But rather than throwing people who have wealth under the bus like that, I think it goes back to the fact that in many positions, maybe they haven't been in a valet capacity or a server capacity or scooped ice cream, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lack of understanding and a lack of compassion when you're not in a position. You just want what you want. You want to get your car and get the fuck out. You want to get your food and not have a hassle. You want what you want and you want it now. And there are some people in this life, that's how they go through life. They don't give a shit about you. They want what they want. Give them what they want. You're in a subservient role. I just want what I want. But I think the overall message in this episode is, can we communicate with more compassion? Can we be clear about what our aim is? Is our aim to have people change and understand us? Or is our aim just to throw flames at people because we're pissed off because we didn't get what we wanted? I worry about humanity sometimes, Whitney, because how rageful people are and how they don't consider the impact of their actions. But then you also understand why people are so rageful. Again, we don't claim to have answers on this might get uncomfortable. It's more of like an analysis of human psychology, human emotions, and how that affects us on a societal level. I want to say to the listener and say to all of us, whoever's tuning in, let's try and like calm down and communicate with more compassion. Because there's a human being on the other side of your anger and your vitriol. Absolutely. And, you know, this situation with Demi, I think, is a delicate one because it's rooted in her mental health. And I think she has every right to speak out against it and let people know. It's like setting a boundary. And her boundary is clearly that she cannot tolerate reading marketing messages that are geared towards diet culture. But we have to remember that diet culture, just like racism, is a long process of undoing. And I feel very aware of that, given that it'd be very easy for me as a white person to say I'm not racist. But the truth is, I've been living in a racist world like I might not even realize when I'm racist. I probably say things all the time that are technically racist without even recognizing it because that's just the culture that I've been in. And I'm not giving an excuse for myself. I'm just saying like, it's so challenging to even identify when you're part of something damaging when you've been in it. And so that's why a lot of companies, I don't think that they realize that there's anything wrong with phrases like guilt-free. And We use the word sugar-free. Some people are triggered by it. Some people aren't. I personally am not because I personally feel better when I eat sugar-free. But I've also been 
somebody that struggled with disordered eating. So there are probably plenty of viewpoints that I have, Jason, that are the result of me having disordered eating. And so it's like I try to tread really lightly and recognize that this is just a work in progress. In fact, it reminds me of a section of Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, that I was reading around racism. And she articulated this so well. Let me see if I can find it. She did use this quote from Maya Angelou who said, do the best you can until you know better Then, when you know better, you do better, right? So we're all doing the best that we can. I think that's part of your point too, Jason, which is like, can't we assume that people are doing the best that they can? Like just simply saying, I know that you think that your marketing is the best that you have right now because you just don't know better, right? So- I think this is part of it too. It's just that we can't really see what's going on because we're so in it. So we don't even realize the opportunities. Another thing that Glennon says is that people are just telling us the truth for the first time. And that truth feels like an attack because we have been protected by comfortable lies for so long. So I'm sure that the big chill felt attacked because so many people have agreed with their messaging up until now. That's another element of this. I'm sure a lot of people are saying, yeah, that's great. Guilt-free. People want guilt-free food. Put guilt-free on there. Make sure that'll draw people in. That'll get more people to buy our ice cream. People are happy, you know, for whatever, you know, like I'm sure they're just there, part of that whole world, not even recognizing that diet culture is a huge issue. So I'm sure that Someone like Demi saying, hey, this is diet culture. They probably feel very attacked because it is the truth. I mean, truly using those phrases like guilt-free is, for all I'm concerned, diet culture. That's the truth. And maybe no one else has said it before. So again, like that's the part of it that I think is incredibly important. Glennon also said that the truth can agitate our comfortable numbness which I thought was such an amazing phrase. It's like we have become so numb with the comfort of how we're living. And so when somebody tells us the truth, like you're racist or you're participating in diet culture, whatever else it is, it's really uncomfortable. But that discomfort is important. So that's what I'm saying when I'm seeing both sides of it. We're uncovering so much. We're recognizing that we've been living in this culture And it's incredibly uncomfortable for all sides. And I suppose that's the part of it, too. It's like there's a lot of messed up shit happening in our world. It's very uncomfortable. It's very unpleasant. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of fear. And I think that is all tied in because ultimately someone walking into an ice cream shop just Even what she was saying, like the bravery it takes to walk into an ice cream shop when you've probably been conditioned by diet culture that you shouldn't eat ice cream because it's going to affect you. Like that's the other part of this I want to address too before we wrap, Jason. It's like we have to commend somebody who's been struggling with an eating disorder just to eat certain foods because I can really relate to that. Like that's probably going to be a struggle I have for the rest of my life to eat certain foods that I have been told over and over and over again that I shouldn't eat because if I eat them, then I'm going to gain weight. And if I gain weight, then I'm unaccepted. Like there's a lot of fear and discomfort in that. So bravo to her for saying, fuck diet culture. I'm walking into this ice cream shop and I'm going to order whatever I want and I'm going to enjoy it. That's bravery. That's a huge step. And it breaks my heart that she took that big step and then immediately was faced with her fears. And so all of her fears were almost confirmed. And I, it's like, again, I get it. And I hope that that ice cream shop gets it too, Jason. You know, like, I hope that they are reflecting on this from different angles, but they might not be. They might not even realize that there's a problem with their marketing. And they might think that she's ridiculous and whatever else and this could continue and we have you know who knows that remains to be seen 
To your point, too, if we can all just try to look at things differently and raise our awareness and somehow get out of the bubble of life that we've been living in for way too long. And it ties back to our ultimate message here on the show, which is like, this might get uncomfortable. And it usually is very uncomfortable. Doing things differently is uncomfortable. Recognizing parts in your life where you need to be held accountable is uncomfortable. And that's why a lot of people don't want to change. The truth is very unpleasant sometimes when you recognize that what you've been doing has been contributing to other people's suffering. And hopefully just having these types of conversations as you and I are committed to doing, Jason, is raising our awareness and our listeners' awareness and encouraging each of us to really be more mindful and aware of our words and our actions and what we're contributing to. And, you know, from a peaceful perspective, maybe we can think before we react, but we're not always going to be that strong and aware. That's part of being human too. So it's like, I'm not trying to take sides, but I really just see the humanity in what Demi posted. And also want to have some compassion for that business and how it affected them and recognize to your point, Jason, that they're human beings too. And there's probably a lot of people involved in that scenario. They've probably got a marketing team. They've got social media managers. They've got employees at the store. They've got the managers of the store. They've got the owners of the stores. I mean, I'm sure there's at least five people that were involved in that whole process. And instead of looking at them as five individuals who have their own fears and frustrations and vulnerabilities and anger, it's like, let's lump them all together into this bad company that everybody can shit on and make feel awful when like, who knows what that ice cream server was going through that caused her to do something that Demi perceived as rude. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, who the hell knows what was going on for any of them? And I love that you brought that up, Jason. It's like everybody's facing some sort of struggle every single day. And let's add a little bit more compassion when we remember to. Yeah, I want to just briefly bring up a point that jumped out that I think is important to address in the Maya Angelou quote, because I've seen a portion of her quote parroted in wellness marketing a lot. It's come up a lot, which is when you know better, you do better. I've seen people extract that Maya Angelou quote and recycle it for all kinds of newsletters and marketing funnels. And I disagree with that because it's not taking into account that there are other factors in a human being's lens and perception of life that they may not do better once they know better. I mean, let's bring up something like, I don't know, smoking as one example. I think most human beings in the modern world would probably agree based on the data we've received that smoking cigarettes made by multinational corporations is not a great thing to do for one's health. But we still have millions and millions and millions and millions of people who smoke cigarettes. Do they know better? I think we could probably say yes, they do know better. But they continue to do what they do. And the reason is why is, is well, A, we need to take into account and have compassion for the fact that human beings are chemically addicted and that products like cigarettes are designed to be chemically addictive. That's number one. And number two, that maybe the stress relief Maybe the opportunity to leave work and have a 15-minute break and the ritual of having a cigarette or the fact that it's become an emotional crutch like things like alcohol and sugar and overeating. There's a lot of things that become emotional crutches for human beings. So even though someone, quote, knows better, there's a lot of dimensions to the human psyche, to emotional comfort, to habituation to how we deal with stress and anxiety and fear that may override, quote, doing better. Just because you know something is not good for you or there's a better way to act does not automatically mean someone's going to do better. So I take umbrage with that quote, not because I think Maya Angelou is wrong, but I think that the way in which it's been used is if I just inform you of this thing, if I educate you on this thing, take you through a course, take you through a training, show you a, quote, better way, then that means automatically and hopefully you'll change your behavior and change the way you live your life, which as we know, human beings don't really do that. 
Well, to be fair, the quote is, when you know better, comma, do better. It's not when you know better, you will do better. It's comma, do better because you know better. Ah, so it's a- And I I think you're absolutely correct in some of the misinterpretations of that. My point in bringing that up is sometimes you literally do not know better and you can only operate under your current operating system until you get that upgrade, until somebody informs you, until, you know, like we're all just leveling up all the time. So hopefully when you have that knowledge, you will actually do something better with that knowledge. But I don't know if she meant like you're automatically going to just because you have that knowledge. It's good. And it also shows you that there can be so many different ways of interpreting the same statement. (laughs) And I think, you know, at the end of this, what I'm thinking about, Whitney, is that I guess my final thought here is in holding a person accountable slash helping to create more awareness in their life of their actions, their beliefs, how the things they do affect others. Let us not expect perfection or immediate change. I think it's really important for ourselves and others, as painful as their grievances might be or their actions, whatever our our strategy or tactics are of creating more awareness, firebombing someone on Yelp, taking to social media, in-person conversation, let us not expect them to be perfect and not expect people not to mess up. I mean, for fuck's sake... And I'm not letting anyone off of the hook per se for incredibly damaging things that they do. I think it's important though to realize that when we are trying to correct or change our own state or our own behaviors and also encouraging others to do the same, that's not probably going to happen overnight. It's going to take time for a person to internalize someone else's viewpoint, how their actions have affected someone else, to internalize their own emotions around it. So as we're in this process, I think it's really important to be patient, to be persistent, and allow people to have their own experience of change. Because if they've been doing something for a long, long, long time, moving that needle can take some time to do that. So that's my final thought on things, Witt, is let's just have patience and compassion as we're encouraging ourselves and as we're encouraging others. So with that being said... We always encourage you, dear listener or dear watcher on YouTube, to weigh in with your perspectives on all of this, of whether you found it more effective to have one-on-one conversations when you want someone to hear or see your point of view, or if you've taken to social media or digital technology to share your points of view or your pain or your grievances, whatever it is. We're curious to see what you found most effective And what you feel is going to be the best long-term for how we interact as humans, especially when we don't see eye-to-eye on things. So you can always email us. Hello at WellEvator.com is the best way to reach Whitney and myself. You can also DM us on Instagram or any of the social media channels or leave us a comment on YouTube. Whatever way that you feel is most appropriate, we always love hearing from you and your perspectives. Whether you agree or disagree or feel neutral as hell, we don't really care. We just want to hear from you. Because we treat this might get uncomfortable as an open dialogue and an exploration of these very nuanced, complicated aspects of human life because we may not have answers. But I think through conversation and discussing these things, especially with differing viewpoints, perhaps we create more clarity together and we open each other up to different ways of seeing life. And that is really one of our big aims here. We have all of the resources we mentioned today at our website, our main hub, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You will find the transcript for this episode, the show notes for all of our 200 plus episodes at the time of this recording. So whether you want to dig into the resources we mentioned here or dig into any of our previous episodes, please visit us at our website for all of that psychic smorgasbord. I don't even know what that means. I just pulled that out of my butt. It's a psychic smorgasbord for you there on wellevator.com. So until next time, as a reminder, we have episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Our guests are on Friday. We have incredible, incredible human beings from all walks of life, many different industries. It is our aim to be as diverse and inclusive as possible here. So we've got some fantastic guests coming up. With that, 
We appreciate you, your listenership, your love, your perspectives, and we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable Soon. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 